0: X-Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing a blood cancer drug getting an FDA warning, and a new tool for assessing long COVID risk. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevic. Thank you for coming today. I'm going to begin with a story about a new FDA warning for a blood cancer drug due to an increased risk of serious side effects, including death. So the FDA has issued a warning for Secura Bios Copictra after a clinical trial showed that the drug was associated with a higher risk of serious side effects, including a possibly increased risk of death. Now this clinical trial found that Copictra was associated with a higher risk of uh, infections, diarrhea, inflammation of the intestines and lungs, skin reactions, as well as high liver enzyme levels in the blood. So the FDA announced the warning after evaluating data from the clinical trial, And it issued the warning in an FDA drug safety communication in which it said that it had notified the public of the risks as it continues to evaluate the safety of Copictra. Copictra was first approved in 2018 for the treatment of adult patients with relapsed or refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL, as well as small lymphocytic leukemia, or SLL, who have failed to respond to at least two prior therapies. So, Secura Bio bought the commercialization rights for uh, Copictra, also known as Duvelisib, from Veristem Oncology. And Veristem Oncology had picked it up previously from Infinity Pharmaceuticals and AbbVie after the two companies had abandoned it previously. So, Secura Bio uh, secured the commercialization rights for the drug in September 2020 for about $70 million as well as additional payments based on milestones and royalties. In its safety announcement concerning the drug, the FDA said that it's planning to hold a future public meeting to discuss the clinical trial results and to determine whether Copictra should continue to be prescribed for patients. Now, the FDA has advised patients to speak with their healthcare provider about the risks and benefits of taking uh, Copictra. So Copictra is a PI3 kinase inhibitor that blocks cancer cells from multiplying. Um, it's, it comes in an oral pill formulation, and it's typically taken twice a day. The drug received orphan drug designation in the U.S. for the treatment of peripheral T-cell lymphoma in 2019. So along with initially being approved for CLL and SLL, it was also approved for the treatment of relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma. However, in April of this year, the FDA revoked the follicular lymphoma approval at the request of SecuraBio, and this is because the company declined to conduct confirmatory trials for Copictura after it did an evaluation and decided that the cost, logistics, and timing of post-marketing requirements was no longer merited uh, given the current treatment landscape for follicular lymphoma patients in the U.S now turning to the uh, long-term clinical trial results for copictra um, based on which the fda issued this new safety warning so fda the fda had required Secura bio to submit final five-year survival results from the phase three randomized open label duo clinical trial which was evaluating the drug So this trial involved 319 patients with long-term follow-up who had CLL or SLL who received a previous therapy to which they did not respond or had stopped responding. The final survival data with a median of 63 months of follow-up showed a possible increased risk of death with Copictra compared to Afatumumab, which is an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody used for the treatment of CLL. So this drug targets early stage B lymphocyte activation. Now compared to this drug, the rate of serious side effects, dose modifications, and deaths resulting from the side effects were higher among patients who took Copictra. And this was 50% versus 44% for um, Copictra versus the other drug Ofatumumab, uh, respectively. The median overall survival among patients who received Copictra was 52.3 months compared to 63.3 months for people that got Ofatumumab in the trial. Now the FDA noted that the safety findings were similar for other drugs in the same PI3 kinase inhibitor class and that these were discussed at an advisory committee meeting consisting of an independent panel of experts in April of this year. So the PI3 kinase inhibitor concerns are not unique to Secura um, because, you know, at the beginning of the year, Gilead actually withdrew its PI3 kinase inhibitor, Zydelig, uh, for relapsed follicular lymphoma as well as SLL after a phase two study showed that only 54% of patients with follicular lymphoma and 58% with SLL achieved objective responses. And like Secura that had uh, said that it was not going to conduct confirmatory trials for Copictra in follicular lymphoma, Gilead similarly had said that enrollment in confirmatory trials had become a challenge leading the company to contact the FDA to withdraw the indications for its drug in the U.S. Another PI3 kinase inhibitor being developed by Bayer called Alicopa, received accelerated FDA approval in 2017, and it is currently awaiting results for, from its confirmatory Chronos for trial, which are expected in September. So, just wanted to get your thoughts on this new drug safety warning uh, from the FDA, and, um, I guess, just in general, like we do hear about you know in long term results coming in and in clinical trials for drugs that are already approved and, and available in the market, how much do you pay attention to to these kinds of new safety warnings and um you know do you think pharmacists and doctors should be talking more to their patients about this or? You know, because the FDA, it's a huge regulatory body, of course, and I feel like there's just so much information coming from them on a daily basis that maybe sometimes these kinds of things can get lost in the mix. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this new safety warning from the FDA and in general about uh, drug safety warnings.
2: Well, I think that, of course, um, the FDA has recognized that this class of drugs, like the pi 3 k um inhibitors they likely have a uh, high toxicity in humans right so they are paying special attention to those class of drugs it's really difficult um when the drugs are to treat like a life-threatening illness yeah. like cancer then mm-hmm. i think the risk benefit ratio is harder to evaluate in those kind of circumstances um but yeah, they clearly are keeping an eye on this class of drugs. You can see that other pharma companies are yeah. also having difficulties. Um, so what I expect will happen, they'll probably have um, more like exploratory clinical trials just to see like for this class of therapies, right? Um, mm-hmm. What are, for instance, what are some factors that influence the, the toxic reactions, like the more serious um, adverse side effects? I think they will probably um, look into that a little bit more detail in future trials. Um, But, yeah, from what I know is, you know, when a drug is approved, they usually always will write the um, side effects that were noted. And sometimes they come with, like, a black box warning, which Mm -hmm. is, like, if you have this condition or that condition, like, speak to a – like, the doctor will evaluate if you should take the drug or not. But, yeah, we don't usually hear – uh, the safety communications from approved drugs from the FDA, they don't come across. It's not like an everyday occurrence. So, yeah, this is why this is big news.
1: Yeah, definitely great points there, uh, Vera. And uh, uh, this PI3 k- kinase class of uh, drugs is definitely, you know, kind of uh, facing a lot of uh, issues and as you know I went through some of the other companies that have PI3 kinase inhibitors and they're kind of facing the same thing so um, and yeah I mean given that this is a a cancer drug so evaluating the risk versus benefits is is really crucial Um, and there are other options out there and I think a lot of companies are are you know kind of I remember, uh, actually, I used, to, I used to study PI3 kinase signaling um, in grad school, and um, it was a big pathway that was being targeted um, back then. And, and um, But it just seems to, you know, drugs that are develop, being developed for it, they just seem to have a lot of either off-target effects or the development of resistance as well long-term. So this is maybe, you know, why we're also seeing in long-term safety data sort, sort of these effects um, kind of... Uh, showing up later uh, because of things like resistance or uh, failure to, to the therapy eventually. And then, yeah, long-term toxicity as well. So um, it's, it's a tough one. But, um, you know, you have the anti-CD20 uh, monoclonal antibodies, which have a lot of promise for uh, blood cancers like lymphoma and leukemias. So um, it is great that there are other therapeutic options, but yes, definitely uh, patients should be speaking with their healthcare providers to make the ultimate decision there. All right, moving on to our next story, and this has to do with COVID and the risk assessment of long COVID specifically. So Bruker um, has developed a new nuclear magnetic resonance or NMR-based molecular research tool for the assessment of the risk of long COVID, which is also known as post-acute COVID syndrome or PACS or PACS. Um, And so this risk assessment also includes um, multi-organ damage as well as cardiovascular disease risk. So this is a Phenomics clinical research tool and it's called the Phenorisk Pax R-U-O. I think it's pronounced R-U-O or it's just R-U-O, I can't really confirm that right now but um, so that's what the test is called and it's currently being developed for research use only. So the tool allows for multiplexed testing of several well-characterized risk biomarkers for the early detection of some of the features of a long COVID or uh, long-haul COVID. The biomarkers that are assessed via the tool are mainly metabolic analytes or metabolites found in the blood. And these were discovered at the Australian National Phenome Centre or the ANPC at Murdoch University in Perth, uh, specifically uh, biomarkers associated with long COVID. So the early detection of markers associated with long COVID could help patients receive early treatment and care to prevent complications and detrimental outcomes. Now, people with long COVID or long haulers, as they're also known, um, have various symptoms. And I think I was reading somewhere that the symptoms list is as long as like 50 different symptoms. And so it's uh Quite extensive and um, also apparently 10 to 20% of people who get COVID uh, will develop long COVID. So it is definitely a, a significant and a serious um thing to contend with. So people can have symptoms which can persist for weeks, months, or even longer. And these can include things like shortness of breath, fatigue, headaches, palpitations, um, as well as impairments in cognition and mental health. So the Phenorisk PAX-RUO tool is designed for research into the early stage risk factors, the longitudinal recovery monitoring, as well as potential damage of secondary organs in cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and kidney dysfunction and inflammation. So Bruker, the company that has developed the NMR-based test, said that it that the test or the tool can quantitatively distinguish between Pax or long COVID patients and healthy or fully recovered individuals through COVID triggered phenoconversion. And phenoconversion is defined as transient or persistent systemic change of the molecular signatures in human plasma samples after acute infection. Now, subsequent phenoreversion of metabolic sign- signatures detected by this tool could indicate recovery from long COVID. Now, in addition to metabolic biomarkers, the, f- the assay can also detect proteomic uh, markers such as glycoproteins and phospholipids associated with inflammation and cardiovascular disease risk. It can also measure a new NMR biomarker called supramolecular phospholipid composite, or SPC. In a news release, Bruker explained that these markers show excellent discrimination of COVID-19 from controls while the glycoprotein SPC ratio has been proposed as a useful molecular marker for long COVID and that this could significantly augment current clinical and therapeutic research. So ultimately, the goal is to have this kind of a tool available um, for for clinicians, although for now, this is just uh, strictly a research tool. But ultimately, the goal would be to have this kind of a tool or test that would allow for the evaluation of multi-organ risk recovery and uh, therapeutic research as well in several dysfunctions related to long COVID. So just wanted to get your thoughts on this and... um, you know, thankfully, none of us have gotten COVID, and I ho- hopefully it's not a matter of, uh, you know, when. It just seems, you know, at this point, we, we're contending with a new wave due to the BA5 subvariant of Omicron, which um, is apparently more transmissible, or rather... Um, I don't think more transmissible is the word, but we can talk about semantics later. Later about that, but um, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on this and whether you've thought about things like long COVID. If you know you or other people you know might get COVID, I think it's not just simply okay. We'll get it. We'll recover. Long COVID is a real thing, and um, of course, vaccination is uh, a great tool. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on this particular research tool for long COVID. Yeah, so
2: NMR is so powerful um, when it comes to biomarker analysis and predicting uh, risk factors for a certain disease and so on. And that research is really only in the beginning stages I would say there's so much that NMR can offer Um, so what was really interesting to me here is that um, the potential for like therapeutics and pharma um, to use this tool to kind of see how people are dealing with long COVID as they maybe get on therapy for example Um, so it's not just a screening tool it has so much more potential which, which was great to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you, Aisha, when they mentioned... So Aisha, did they mention like some multi-organ?
1: Yeah. So basically um, with long COVID, you know, you can have multiple organs being affected. So whether it's the lungs, the heart, the kidney, um, and that also ties into whether you have pre-existing conditions that involve some of those organs. Um, and so some people may develop multi-organ dysfunction. So have more than one organ affected and so that is a complication of long COVID and that is something that this tool aims to um, detect early with um, you know a panel of biomarkers uh, both metabolic and proteomic markers so that's uh, what um, one of the goals of the 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 tool is. Yeah and as I mentioned before is long COVID a thing that you guys are worried about?
2: I mean I uh, It's very clear that, you know, with the amount of long COVID cases, that it is absolutely something that exists. It's just we, um, you know, it seems like we just don't know that much about it. Um, yeah. it. It's hard for me to say that I'm worried personally because I do not believe that it has affected me. Um, and that's kind of, you know, <laughs> it's like a selfish standpoint. But, you know, that's why I love listening to your stories, because um, I get to hear about things that I wouldn't normally know or even worry about. Um, so, yeah, it, it is certainly worrying, though. I mean, um,
1: yeah, no, that's fine. No, definitely. I think um, I think a lot of people, um, I mean, not not us, because I think, you know, we're good at, you know, really staying informed and have taken COVID seriously from day one. And I think um, long COVID is often overlooked. You know, it's not just about getting vaccin. of course, getting vaccinated to protect against potentially long COVID as well, actually. I don't know if there's, again, like you said, Sydney, there's not much, um, we don't know a whole lot about long COVID um, and, you know, there's a lot of research going into it, but um, we know that vaccina- vaccination against COVID definitely prevents um, uh, severe disease and hospitalizations, deaths, but how that factors into things like long COVID, that is also something that, you um, I think we should be looking at, and I'm sure researchers are looking into that. But um, I think just going back to my point, I was just trying to say that I think a lot of us take for granted that, like, even if we're if we're vaccinated, um, we're wearing masks. Masks that our risk is a lot lower for getting COVID for sure. But you know, um, if we do get infected and we have mild symptoms, how does that factor into potentially developing long COVID though that's unknown and I think that's kind of still the scary thing with COVID that there's still so much unknown even though we've come a long way um, two years later but uh, yeah it's a real thing I know people who have long COVID actually um, two years later they still have symptoms Um, and uh, this is before they got vaccinated. I think some of the people who, you know, early on in the pandemic got it, so. But you still hear stories of people who are vaccinated and they they still get, um, you know, they still have persistent symptoms. Um, But yeah, it's definitely something to look out for. And this tool definitely can help um, people and clinicians um, to get patients early treatment um, if they do suspect that they might be at risk for long COVID. Okay, that's the end of this episode of the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more.